Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast, part of SB Nation's network of podcasts, also found on the Almighty Baller podcast network. I am your co-host, Dan Morang. As always, I am joined by Team Mom, Terrible and Biggs. Team Mom, how are we doing this week? Well, uh, it's been quite a change. I now have my hoodie on because the weather has cooled down. So um, I'm ready. I think I'm ready for the season. So, Dan, we have been uh, making our way through the Western Conference doing division previews. Today, we have our third and final Western Conference division preview. And to do that, we have brought in a special guest. I'm happy to introduce everyone to Amy Stegemeyer. She's the founding editor and co-owner of All Heart in Hoop City, which is a uh, Memphis Grizzlies blog. It's the first and only NBA site run by women, and their mission is to create original content from a unique perspective. So we are really excited to have you on the show, Amy. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. How have things been going for the Grizzly fans this offseason? Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a kind of a painful question. I mean, obviously, this is going to be a Grizzlies team that looks a lot different in this coming season. Um, and I, I think there's even more than just, you know, as, as basketball players, Zach Randolph and, and Tony Allen were pretty much beloved in the city of Memphis. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still kind of mourning that a little bit. I know a lot of other fans are sort of the same way. And it, it's going to be... It's going to be weird, I guess, because, like, so much of what people associate with Memphis Grizzlies basketball kind of came about because, specifically because of Zach Randolph and Tony Allen and a playing style and a mentality. Um, you know, obviously, all of those things are going to change with them being gone. It's just I, I'm trying to prepare myself for the possibility that, Memphis might be really bad this season, and I hope nobody gets mad at me for saying that. And I hope I didn't. I'm going to knock on my desk now. I hope I didn't just. It sounds like you're not even talking so much about the team being bad, but like it losing its identity. I guess it's an image thing, but it's also very much a style of play. Like, you know, Zach Randolph is a fabulous, dominant, low-post player. Um, Memphis plays at one of the slowest paces in the league. Um And I know that that's something, um, you know, David Fisdale and his staff have been trying to to kind of change, adapt more to the way that the the league is going. You know, everybody, you know, needs a team. You know, everybody's team needs somebody that can shoot three-pointers. That's, you know, not having someone that can reliably shoot three-pointers has been, or, or even really decent shooting, has been a huge thorn in the side of the Grizzlies for years. You know, the, the fact that, that David Fisdale got uh, Marcus Hall shooting threes last season was, you know, is fantastic. And, you know, and, and Mike Conley is amazing. And, God, I hope he gets to be an all-star this year just because mm-hmm. he deserves it so much. Maybe, Dan, you can talk about what Zach Randolph meant to the Blazers when he was here. And then uh, we can talk about how things may have changed. Zach has always been an incredibly talented player, whether it was at Michigan State in Portland, New York, Memphis, now Sacramento. He, he, his game has been one that was kind of ageless, timeless, however you want to describe it, because it didn't rely on athleticism. It relied on his size, his rather large rear end, his positioning, and his basketball like you. And those are all things that just got better and better with age. Literally all of them, including his rear end. It got bigger and rounder. I mean, he'd just carve out more space with it. That's just what he did. And he, he the fact that he didn't rely on his athleticism allowed him to hone, you know, incredible footwork. I mean, anybody who's ever listened to me talk about big men in the NBA, my favorite thing to watch for is feet work. His is, is, is immaculate. He's, he's a 300-pound ballerina. The problem with him early in his career was always a mentality issue. And whether it was he didn't feel comfortable um, with where he was, you know, with his teammates or within, within the community or, or a host of other things, there were a lot of negatives along the way before he got to Memphis. The basketball stuff was always there, but I think it really culminated and came together when the on-the-court and off-the-court stuff all came together in one and that was culminated in Memphis and really solidified by Tony Allen, the grindfather bringing that mentality and that mindset and Zach being the perfect yin to uh, Tony Allen's yang. I, I guess 
for for lack of a, a, a better way to say it. I, I I recall some of the you know some of the troubles you were talking about with Zach off the court when he was in Portland, and it's like when he came to Memphis. I, I couldn't identify what exactly changed that, but you could see it on the court, off the court, and I do think it made a, you know a huge difference. And obviously, you know, I mean, he was in Memphis for eight years, and so there's you know a lot of love from the fan base. But he he did so much in the community here too, and I, I think you know there there was a lot of of narrative around. You know, he came to Memphis and, you know, kind of straightened up. And, and I guess to a large degree, that that's what he did. And I don't know if it was if it was an age thing, if it was just, you know, him growing up, literally, or if it was the change of scenery or what. But I recall some of what you were talking about as far as, you know, how he was perceived in Portland versus when he came here. Um, and he pretty much, like, completely turned his, his image, I, I guess, as a person, not so much as a player, if that makes sense. I just love a story when when somebody finds the fit and everything falls into place, not just the basketball, but just the, the fit into the community. And I'm really glad that he had so much success in, um, uh, in Memphis. We'll see what happens in Sacramento. <laughs> well, uh, we have a lot to cover. We have five teams that we want to talk about today. So if you guys are okay, maybe we'll just uh, dive into getting to know the Southwest Division. Let's jump in and uh, start off by talking about the Dallas Mavericks. Dallas Mavericks last year, their record was 33-49. and 49. They finished 11th in the Western Conference. They are projected to win by ESPN 34.6 games this year. They added a bunch of rookies, P.J. Dozer, Dennis Smith Jr., Jonathan Motley. They've also added uh, Josh McRoberts and Jeff Withy to the team. They don't have, in, in my idea, a whole bunch of key losses. Uh, Nicholas Brusinio, A.J. Hammonds, DeAndre Liggins, and Jared Utoff. Uh, no big names really jump out as far as losses go, but... When I look at the Dallas roster, I'm like, what the heck is going on? So what do y'all think about the strengths for the Mavericks? They did get Ner- – I'm trying to remember. They did get Nerland Snowell back, I think, on the mm-hmm. – the, the qualifying offer. I, 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 think, I think he's going to be good. Whether or not I think the moves that they've made um, – you know, they brought – they uh, added Harrison Barnes last year and then – um, Noel, and then you said you know that they've brought in a whole score of, of young guys. I'm not sure if I think that's going to make them immediately better. So you think they're in it for the long game, like every like a lot of people in the a lot of like teams in the Western everybody Conference. Everybody's trying to wait out the Warriors now. I think that's part of it, and I, I think I, I'm not sure what you know. Dirk's going to going to play another year, and I guess you know how he plays. He's still a huge part of that team. I think you said the other day he's got years in him. Hey, I Vince Carter still has years in him, so I believe Dirk does too. Um, That's true. I, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna. Gonna down that because I. I still. I have that respect, but I don't think. I don't think they did enough. I, I guess made enough changes to really move that needle much. Mm-hmm. Like they'll. Pro- I mean, they'll probably miss the playoffs again next year this season. If I had to guess especially in this tough conference. Dan, what do you think about Dallas this year? I mean, when you look at the Mavericks, they, they've got two of the best veterans in the league in, in Dirk and Wes Matthews. Two guys who know what it takes to get it done and have delivered throughout their career. You mix that with guys like Harrison Barnes, Dennis Smith Jr., Nerlens Noel. So you've got this great mix of young and old. So yeah, they're a team that's looking forward uh, past the Warriors and, and their cycle in building young. Harrison Barnes is still young. Nerland Zoell is young. Dennis Smith Jr., obviously a rookie, is young. Those are going to be their, their core building blocks if they can keep Nerland Zoell under contract uh, next year. But more than anything for this year, I think they're just going to be a fun team. Dennis Smith Jr. and Josh Jackson, those are the two guys that I have pegged for Rookie of the Year. I think those are the two guys that are really going to battle it out. I think Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be the guy that's going to look a lot like Damian Lillard did in his rookie year. He's going to put up some crazy numbers. He's he's their franchise right now. There's no doubt about it. 
He's he, Dirk is still their guy, but I almost guarantee that Mark Cuban and Dirk have had the discussion like, hey, let's get the young fellow the ball. He's the future of the franchise. I'm going to still do my thing as Dirk. I'm going to get you 18.7 rebounds. I'm going to shoot damn near 50, 40, 90 from all over the floor. But he's the guy. I, I think Dirk is of the mindset that, that, you know, he's far enough along his career where that's not going to be an issue. Uh, Wes is a consummate pro. I think Harrison Barnes knows who he is now as a player. I mean, he's a 20.5 rebound, five assist kind of guy um, when I think he's utilized best. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least bit to see somebody like like Dennis Smith Jr. put up 18 to 20 and 7. Like having a really monster rookie year that, that for any other player in any other position, we'd be like, man, that's an all-star campaign. But the point guard depth is so ridiculous in the league right now, particularly even in the conference, that it's not going to, you know be crazy, but he's going to have a one heck of a season. Uh, if you, For me, if you had to sum up the Mavericks, they're a lot like the Kings, in my sense, where they're just going to be a fun team to watch. I, I don't think they're really a threat to do anything, but seeing how their younger players develop and how they mix with the veteran players, that's, that's the most exciting part of this for me. And I think they're on the right path as far as the rebuild goes, as long as they don't throw down a ton of money on mid-tier free agents, as we've seen in Portland, what that can do to your rebuilding. I think it's interesting that you brought up the Sacramento Kings because um, I think one interest, I, I, I agree, there's so many uh, young guys who we're going to just uh, see what they bring to the table that it's going to be interesting to watch them. But one thing that I see is different is their established veterans at Dallas have been there all along, or, or and you know Dirk is the franchise, um, and Wesley is somebody who's very established in the league and has been with the team for a couple of years now. Whereas in Sacramento, they like imported from Memphis <laughs> the the uh, Memphis they West? imported their veterans after they imported Matt Barnes last year, um, Dave Yeager, um, who was the Memphis head coach before he went to Sacramento. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. There's a pipeline there. Yeah, no, it's it, it really is Memphis West. When the Grizzlies play the Kings, it's going to be a, it, it's going to be an interesting game to watch for many reasons. That's going to be tough. Well, do we want to add anything else about Dallas before we move on to New Orleans, which I think is a fascinating case? Who wants to start off about talking about New Orleans? Yeah. Dan, you want to go ahead, please. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead, please. Um, New Orleans is this. I don't even know how to describe it. Clearly there's an abundance of talent in just Anthony Davis and boogie. I mean, just those two, you look at what they've done through their careers and it's astounding. Just the statistical numbers, whether or not those two can stay healthy and produce together on the floor at the same time in positions that may or may not make them the most successful is another question. The other, you know, huge question here is whether or not they can figure out what's going on at the wing position. Like they don't have a wing. There's nobody on this team. I mean, the way that they're set up right now, it looks like Drew Holiday could get some time at the two and maybe even the three. Um, their roster is just so goofy with how they're they're set up, and I really don't know how to describe it other than that there's certainly potential for them to, to be a nightmare for teams to cover. Um, but I mean, I don't understand how adding a guy like, you know, Rajon Rondo to the team is, is a good idea. I mean, it's like, you know what? We've got this giant pile of dynamite. Let's go ahead and, you know, throw it in the dryer. No, like let's just throw it in the dryer and let it tumble for a bit and see what happens. I mean, that's, uh, I, I get the boogie and 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 Rondo are, are Kentucky guys, but not all Kentucky guys are the same. And this is, I, if nothing else, it's going to be a really interesting experiment to watch because there's at least an eighty percent chance that this blows up in somebody's face. <laughs> hey, I forgot to uh, uh, run by real quick what their uh, record was and their wins and losses. So let's do that and, and continue on. Uh, their record last year, they were 34 and 48. They were 10th in the Western Conference. They lost Quinn Cook, uh, former Blazer great Tim Frazier, Donatess Monteunis, Quincy Pondexter. Or did they resign Quincy? No, they, they traded him to Chicago. 
They did. Okay. Um, and Axel Tupain. They added Tony Allen, Charles Cook, a rookie, Frank Jackson, a rookie, Jalen Jones, a rookie, Perry Jones, Darius Miller, and Rajon Rondo. So those are the key additions and subtractions. Uh, Amy, what's your thoughts on the Pelicans this year? Um, the Pelicans to me are sort of like the Mr. Potato Head that's kind of put together wonky with parts that aren't quite right because you know there's there's a serious amount of basketball of just pure basketball talent on on that team. Um, you know, and I, I would have I would love for like half a season to see Anthony Davis on a team that's not gonna suck. See um, really what he's capable of. But yeah, the way that, that they, they put all, you know, I mean, it's a bunch of guys who have talent, but they don't really, I, I can't, the, the Mr. Potato Head analogy is really the best that I have every time I think about the Pelicans. They have eyes, they have arms. Just about where they're, where they're put at. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit strange. What do you think Tony Allen is going to uh, bring to the team? Tony Allen thing, that's a... If I can get a trademark on that, I want to put a trademark on that. Um, somebody else on Grizz Twitter will probably like roast me for saying that, but um, nobody else has said they were going to trademark it, so I will. Tony still is, you know, is a great defender. He's, uh, but let's be honest, he's never been the greatest offensive player. He has had very good offensive games, um, and but he also is the guy that that you know. Does the stuff like take the ill-advised three at the beginning of the shot clock? And, you know, you had, there was a kind of a joke about, you know, trick or treat Tony Allen, which one you were going to get. And his defensive capabilities would be a big boon for New Orleans. I think, I think him and Rondo were in, were in Boston together. I think I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm like digging my brain here to think back some years. Um, if, if you look at all the personalities on that team, um, and, and Tony Allen is definitely a personality, I mean, he, he's going to give them some defensive minutes. Whether or not he gives them a whole lot of offensive contribution, probably not. But it doesn't really, like, it doesn't really look like they, they just based on what the, what the team is constructed of, that they really have a very cohesive roster playing whatever. I guess they're just going to start plugging people in and, and you know, see who goes where. <laughs> see what happens. How do you think that he'll play off against um, the big guys down in New Orleans? Will it be, I, I assume it'll be a big difference for him, you know, moving from playing with, you know, Gasol and Randolph to going and playing with uh, some guys who are much younger, who maybe are somewhat representative of the new type of, you know, the new type of NBA. How do you think he's, or how do you think he can help, you know, Boogie and Anthony Davis? Honestly, I, I really him him doing the things that he does well, doing them well, keeping his head together on and off the court. I mean, I love Tony Allen, and I think he's a great guy. And I, you know, I think his his defensive abilities are are going to be a big asset to the Pelicans. Again, whether or not I I think him in conjunction with you know, the other, the other guys that they have on the team. Like, I don't necessarily think Tony Allen is going to be what, what gets them to make the playoffs this year. Some I mean, those- it's so odd because they have pieces that people want, you know, <laughs> people would love to have Anthony Davis. Um, uh, let's see, who else do people want? I don't know. Maybe I said that a little too soon. Dan, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I've always loved Drew Holiday. Like, I, I think he's a fantastic player, and, and what he's been through recently is just crazy uh, With uh, off the court with his family. Um, the baby just turned one, I believe. Yeah, I mean, so that, which way. is a, an awesome uh, story. Drew and Lauren Holiday, baby, happy happy uh, birthday to their baby, their one-year-old. Like I said, they have some amazing pieces. There's just, there's no wing creation on this team. You sign a guy like Drew Holiday to, you know, that kind of a, a big money deal, and then you bring in Rondo. I, I, I don't, I don't understand what they're doing. Is the NBA still running this franchise? Is that what's going on here? Because I like the decisions being made are just they're they're crazy. I mean, I don't know how to quantify it any other way than that. It's just there's no rhyme or reason. Like the boogie deal made sense. I mean, they got him for pennies on the dollar for what everybody expected. That was that was great. And then everything beyond that, you're sitting there like, 
okay, now what? You're struggling for a wing, and whether or not Pondexter was going to play or whether, you know, injury was going to continue to be a problem, you you dump him off to, to, to Chicago, and it's like, I don't... I don't understand exactly what's going on with what they, like, what way are they going other than, hey, we have AD Boogie and Drew Holiday. Like, beyond that, they're like, okay, let's just literally throw it on the wall and see what sticks. And I don't think somebody like Rajon Rondo or even Tony Allen sticks. It's, it's just, it's just a weird, weird situation. I mean, I'm trying to think of it, like, logically. Okay, so a lot of people in the Western Conference are in the situation right now where they're not trying to win the championship this year because of so many other just amazingly strong teams in front of them. So they're either building around young team, young players like Dallas, or the I guess the other option might be that they're amassing assets that they can turn into something when the time is right and when it and I was wondering if maybe that's what the Pelicans were doing because I mean, Anthony Davis is an asset until he's gone <laughs> until he's, I guess he has like three or four more years on his long-term uh, on his long-term deal. He's making a lot of money. DeMarcus might be just gone. I mean, they just signed Dante Cunningham and I'm just looking at their roster going, I'm not sure how many of these I call a lot of ass, you know, <laughs> uh, assets that would command a lot on the market. They don't command a lot on your, for your team either. That like you're not getting like a, a ton of production out of these guys either. That's that's what I don't understand. The it's almost like the the Pelicans decided they were going to bring the old king stupidity along with Demarcus Cousins. Like we're just going to go ahead and, and like we're going to get Cousins and then throw random pieces around him. Like they they're only doing slightly better because they already had AD and Holiday which is more than can be said for any of the players that were around Cousins while he was in Sacramento. So I, I really don't understand what it is they're doing. Are you trying to get good now and compete and build a franchise, or are you trying to you know tank and, and build around that? I, you can't, They're putting themselves in the worst possible position, and that's kind of the position that a lot of other teams have found themselves in, and that's that mediocre position where you aren't getting better, you aren't getting worse, you're not getting draft picks, and it's just... I don't know. It's it's this NBA purgatory that I don't wish upon any kind of franchise. And yeah. Davis is just wasting away. And that's the worst there. part of it, right? You've got one of the most transcendent players in the entire league who's just stuck there putting up 27-12 every night. Like, and, and seriously, how how good would he be, would he be on a different team? And why the hell are the Pelicans not, like, Either you build around this guy, or he's your asset to start over. Well, we could spend a whole hour talking about uh, trying to figure out what's going on in New Orleans, and I don't think we're really going to get anywhere, because I don't know that anybody knows where the Pelicans are going. So how about we move on and talk about your Memphis Grizzlies next? 43-39 and last year, finished 7th in the Western Conference. This year, they're projected to win 34.6, somewhat of a drop. They lost Tony Allen, Vince Carter, Zach Randolph. Did they also lose Jermichael Green, or has he just not been re-signed yet? What I've heard is they expect him to sign. Like, he hasn't, they've given him a qualifying offer. Um, And they're waiting. Yes. Um, From what I've heard, nobody really handled his free agency situation very well. Um, I've... I hope that they work out whatever it is. Um, I mean, even if it's just, you know, they, he's here for a year and then goes into free agency again next summer. Um, because, I mean, if, you know, Zach's gone and if they don't re-sign to Michael Green, are we just not going to have a power forward at all? Is that not a thing that the Grizzlies <laughs> are going to do? Um, I, I don't know. And I'm not really... I'm not really prepared for. I'm not really prepared for them to be a lottery team, and I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, Gasol and Conley are are fantastic basketball players. Chandler Parsons can be a fantastic basketball <laughs> player. Not. Yeah, how is Chandler? Uh, <laughs> never been so happy somebody leveraged Portland and then was Chandler Parsons. <laughs> God. You know, he better play so well for as much as I have defended him. Like, I, the thing about Chandler Parsons and, and Memphis 
and that whole what happened last summer, last offseason was, was a big offseason. They re-signed Mike Conley. You know, and, and, you know, last summer was, was the summer that the, the cap took that big jump. And so, like, mm-hmm. everybody made money. Oh, nobody paid players like Portland did. <laughs> and before Parsons decided to sign with Memphis, Portland tried to pay Parsons. In fact, Parsons used Portland to leverage a bigger contract with Memphis. So thanks for taking that bullet for us. Alan Crabb. Hey, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't, I don't, I, I'm looking at Portland's roster right now and I don't see an Alan Crabb. Well, so actually you said that you've been defending Chandler Parsons. So what is it that you, um, uh, what are the, what are the positives that uh, you're hoping that will all come to fruition this season with him? I think Chandler's going to have, or I, I hope his contract is going to be a lot like Vince Carter's was in Vince Carter's first season. He had a, a bone spur surgery in the off season when he signed with Memphis. And so that first season wasn't great and then he kind of like in the next two seasons he progressively got better and I think that's what we're going to see with Chandler Parsons partly because I'm not sure it's possible for him to do let me not say that in those let me not word it like that because I will do (laughs) Chandler Parsons had a bad season in Memphis last year and a lot of the the fan base um and and the a lot of the local sports guys too. I'll even say, I'll say that. I don't care. Um, really kind of dug into him in a personal way because, you know, Memphis gave them, gave him all this money. That paycheck. And that's not necessarily his fault, mm-hmm. you know? And something that I've talked about with a friend of another friend of mine, who's a Grizzlies fan. I, there's a good chance that Mike Conley isn't, doesn't stay if they don't, put someone with him and I think um you know Robert Para and the Grizzlies shelling out for Chandler Parsons and Mike Conley's new contract and bringing in David Fisdale and and everybody David Fisdale brought in kind of showed that they were serious about you know filling in the spaces mm-hmm. to try and to keep Memphis you know a, a, a contending playoff team you know, obviously the first year of the Chandler Parsons experiment didn't go the way that anybody wanted it to go, but there was, I mean, a, just a huge amount of social media, personal scrutiny and, and mm-hmm. just really, I, I feel like in these situations, you know, to, to talk about what a player does or doesn't produce on the court is fair, but to kind of go beyond that and, be, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, okay, so you're mad. This guy's getting a huge paycheck and he's not contributing to the team. Well, that's life. Get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, not, I don't know, the way I've seen, uh, I, don't, I don't think social media really brings out the best in, in everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, there's been, Parsons has also probably earned some of that flack. Um, and I really honestly just hope that he has, has, you know, rehabbed the hell out of himself and he comes and has a, a monster year. Otherwise. That's a hard one to shake if, uh, if it doesn't turn out. Yeah. I, nobody's going to take that contract and the Grizzlies really have no, no, no cap space at this point with having, you know, they've got Gasol's contract and Conley's contract and then, you know, Parsons' big check, which doesn't really leave them a lot of room to add in anybody else. Mm-hmm. But one thing that was significant about bringing in Chandler Parsons was he is the first real big name free agent that Memphis has been able to attract. You know, obviously, you know, everybody wishes that his, you know, that his season had been better. But I think the way that he was treated by the fan base doesn't necessarily make other like Memphis is probably not the most attractive NBA destination for top name free agents. So, you know, people could stand to be a little more welcoming if they want to try and get more, you know, more people to want to come and you know, more good players to want to come and play basketball here. So as far as new players uh, on on the Grizzlies, you do have several new rookies, and then an addition. So including Dylan Brooks, um, 
uh, Vince Hunter, Jeremy Morgan, Kobe Simmons. And then there's a few other guys who've been added to the roster. Mario Chalmers, Tyreek Evans, Ben McElmore. Are, who among the new people on the roster are people most interested in or talking about as far as being an impact? Um, Mario Chalmers is actually uh, returning to Memphis. Um, and I'm, I, I'm, I've, I've always been a big Chalmers fan since he came to Memphis. And then he, you know, was out last season. He tore his Achilles tendon at the end of that horrible, horrible season where, like, that Grizzlies team had no business making the playoffs. And getting swept by the Spurs in the first round was a mercy killing. It really was. I mean, that you know, Mark was hurt. Mike was hurt. Tony was hurt. It, I mean, it was literally Zach Randolph, Matt Barnes, and, and Vince Carter that, that, like, drugged them the rest of the And <laughs> a handful of, well, more than a handful, because they went through it was like a league record. Uh, they had 27 players on the roster. Uh, of course, Ben McLemore got hurt um, in, in some some off-season training and had uh, surgery on his foot a couple of weeks ago. And he's probably not going to be, I mean. Sounds like things are pretty, uh, are, uh, people are a little bit on edge about wondering what's going to happen with the Memphis Grizzlies uh, coming up this season. Dan, what are your thoughts on um, how the Grizzlies could, um, you know, surprise folks and maybe come out more than um, 34 wins? Or do you think that that that's, sounds about it right? It sounds about right, to be honest. I, I I love Mike Conley and I love Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol is probably one of my favorite players in the entire league right now because he does everything. There's there's very, very few players, particularly that position, where you're like, ah, I'm not sure if putting him in that position is a good idea. He can, you know, hedge and, and push out on pick and rolls defensively. Uh, on the perimeter. He's a fantastic rim protector. Uh, he can play in the pick and roll himself uh, on the pick and pop on the pick and roll. He can, he, he, he can play in the pick and roll himself. Like he can pick and roll his own stuff. I, I mean, he honestly, he could, if he wanted to, he's got a, a fantastic, he's, he's got a fantastic <laughs> handle. He's, he's among big men among true big men. He's probably got one of the best handles in the league. Um, he is the preeminent passer right now. And, and Jokic is obviously challenging for that crown from the high post among big men. and has been for the past few years, uh, the high post offense that the Grizzlies have run for, you know, ever since Gasol got there has been predicated on his passing ability and, and his ability to create for others in that range. Um, Conley is, is perennially on the all underrated team, uh, probably the best two way point guard, pure two way point guard in the league, uh, not named Chris Paul. So, I mean, but again, we're talking about like the theme of this entire division is like, where are the wings? There's no wing help on this team. And, that's always been Memphis's Achilles heel, but that can be covered up by superb defense from guys like Tony Allen, Marcus Ole, uh, Mike Conley. But it was buoyed in scoring by Zach Randolph getting 15, 16 a night, Jermichael Green coming in and pitching in, Vince Carter coming in and pitching in. Uh, it was done by committee. If Chandler Parsons is healthy, yeah, that's a boon for them. But when has Chandler Parsons ever been healthy? Like, if I'm if I'm a Grizzlies fan on the outside looking in, I'm, I'm I'm just not counting on him contributing a whole lot. If you get 65 games out of him, that's a win. I mean, that, that's really what they're looking at. So, for them, if if they finish anywhere above 37, 38 wins, that's that to me is is overachieving. They they just they're just missing too many pieces right now. And they were a fantastic team there for six seven years, but they just never like they just could never get past the Spurs. And that's not really a knock. You you couldn't get past basically the most dominant franchise in NBA history. I mean that's it's just that's just what it is. So it's not like it's a, a terrible thing. And Portland went through this. It's it, it's almost the exact same thing Portland went through in the in the late nineties early two thousands where they just couldn't get past the Lakers. So I mean, it, it honestly it mimicked a lot of those, a lot of similarities between the two, and, and how they're constructed, and how they looked, and how they stood among the elite in the NBA. Because there was a two or three year period right there where a lot of people were like, "Well, you know what? Memphis is probably a dark horse to make it to the Western Conference Finals, maybe even to the Finals." But they just couldn't stay healthy or couldn't make something happen at just the right time to have it all come together. And I, I think, as it, sad as it is to say, I think we're we're witnessing the downfall of Memphis. And honestly, I I, I hope. Things go well, but I just I don't see them really able to rebound without a whole lot of pieces to build around. I wish I could say that I had reason to disagree with that assessment, but I don't. <laughs> and that's sad. Everything that everything that you said about Marcus All, I'm just going to hold up again that sign because that that's all all there. 
and all true and, and on, on point. Um, I, I will say that I, I will forever maintain in 2015, if Mike Conley did not get his face broken by C.J. McCollum, having a different conversation right now. On the most random play I think I've ever seen. I, I joke about like still be, uh, about being salty at C.J. McCollum about that, and I'm not. I mean, it, that obviously wasn't like a purposeful thing. It was just weird freak thing that happened. Turned out to be kind of gnarly. Yeah, to give you an idea of what I thought of it when it first happened, I thought Conley flopped trying to draw a foul. Because it was so innocuous, and it was like, oh, that's not a big deal. And then he stayed down. And then he got up and had a giant dent in his face. Oh, my God. Did somebody hit him with a, with yeah. a titanium pole? I mean, it was just, that was one of the weirdest things ever. And you're probably right. And, that, and that's kind of the NBA in a nutshell. For one fortuitous or, you know, awful circumstance, yeah, um, for one franchise over another, what's crazy is, is that how that went for Memphis and how devastating that was. That was also kind of for Portland. Uh, I know this sounds awful, but it was a series where, you know, Myers Leonard and, and CJ McCollum kind of came to the forefront and showed that they could be something more um, for Portland. That was CJ's really big time coming out party. So it was, it was a really strange situation with how that series played out for both franchises. And I think, for both, instead of like elevating one or dropping the other, both franchises just kind of plateaued. Yeah, Memphis is, you know, they've been the seventh seed the last two seasons. To paraphrase George Orwell, you know, you know, imagine a vision of the future is the Spurs in the first round every year. Because that's, you know, they've, they've had this, this past year wasn't <laughs> awful. I mean, they, they still lost the series, but they at least won a couple of games and they, and they were really good showing. Last season, the, the Spurs are a good team. Um, they're they're a great team, and when we're not playing them, I kind of <laughs> watch them. But I really like I, I want to find a silver lining for Memphis here, and I, I hate to to sound like Eeyore, but I'm not really sure there is one. I, I I really don't like this. Really, may be the year that the wheels fall off, so to speak, um, and. I hate to say that because obviously I, I, you know, really don't want the team to be bad, but looking at pretty much what, what's left on their roster, um, you know, I, I was ob- obviously like my ideal off season for the Grizzlies was for them to, to pretty much just bring everybody back um, and not really even for nostalgia purposes, but because, Tony Allen and Vince Carter and Zach Randolph were all players that still contributed to the sort of basketball that the Grizzlies played and were good at. Um, you know, I mean, Zach had a monster year last year. Um, and without that, I mean, I, I, we're, I guess we're going to see a lot of small ball play and historically that's not been, not been a strong suit for Memphis either. So it's okay. Embrace the suck. Let's, we we got two more teams to uh, to get through. So uh, if y'all are okay, I'm going to move us on. Um, the next team is the Houston Rockets. The the Rockets last year finished 55 and 27. They were third in the Western Conference. Are projected to win 55 again this year. They lost Patrick Beverly, Bobby Brown, Sam Decker, Montrell Harrell, Lou Williams, and Kyle Wilcher. They added Tariq Black, Demetrius Jackson, Sean Long, Luke Mubabute. Cameron Oliver's a rookie. Chris Paul. Jukui is a, a rookie. Zhang Jing Guan. I Guang do he. not know how to pronounce Guang it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Guang he. Former Blazer great Tim Quarterman and PJ Tucker are uh, round out the additions for the Houston Rockets. So the big question with the Houston Rockets is obviously uh, how are Chris Paul and James Harden going to play together? I was looking at the depth chart of the Houston Rockets, and what struck me when uh, looking at it is they are they are thin in point guards, unless they're I guess planning on using James Harden as the backup. I don't know. So I'm uh, throwing it to you guys. What are uh, strengths of the Houston Rockets? I mean, it's 
It's, it's a two-pronged attack. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be Chris Paul, James Harden, and them running it down your throat. And then everybody else plays defense. Are they going to have a backup point guard, or is James Harden going to play backup they're, point guard? Harden's going to be that guy. I think they're going to run it just like they do in Portland. When Chris Paul's mm-hmm. off the floor, James Harden's handling the ball. They've got a bunch of guys that they can move around at all the other positions. They've got Trevor Ariza. They've got P.J. Tucker. Those are two guys that you can play two, three, or four. I mean, if you really want to. You still have Eric Gordon, and Eric Gordon can even handle the ball a bit. So, I mean, if you're putting him in a pinch, if he can stay healthy again, Eric Gordon's another guy that you can, you can run the ball through. It's not exactly the, the best idea, as his assist rate is usually one of the lowest for his position. But um, he's a guy that, in college at least, created well enough at Indiana to where if pushed into emergency duty, he can make something happen. Um, they've also got Demetrius Jackson, who can come in and, again, be an emergency kind of guy uh, to fill in. But, I mean, this team is going to be a really interesting experiment for two of the most ball-dominant players in the NBA. Chris Paul has to have the ball to be effective. Now, James Harden has to have the ball to be the most effective. That's two totally different things. Harden has played off-ball both in Oklahoma City and in Houston. Chris Paul has never played off-ball. Chris Paul is the ball. There's There's no player in the NBA who needs the ball more than Chris Paul. So what does that do? Does does that diminish James Harden's effectiveness? I mean, Russell Westbrook needs the ball, but that still found a way to work when Westbrook, Durant, and Harden were together. How that's going to work in Houston with Chris Paul, who has never had to give up the ball. Every team, it's, I mean, even Blake Griffin is a fantastic creator on his own. Great high post passer, can drive and dish. They still didn't do that with, with the Clippers. So you've got the second most creative player in the league in James Harden. And you're going to take the ball out of his hands. I have a hard time seeing how that's going to work really effectively, but it seems like the last few years, every time I question the Rockets, they find a way to make something happen and get a whole hell of a lot better. So I'm not really betting against them, but at the same time, Chris Paul's never, you know, been out of the second round of the playoffs. So yeah, Kind of, Will this be the year? <laughs> I feel like his his bad juju is going to outweigh the Rockets' success over the past few years. So um, they're going to be good. They're going to win a lot of games. They're probably going to be a really fun team to watch. But um, I, I think there's there's definitely a good chance for some for some volatile stuff to pop up here with two massive egos and two guys that really need the ball a ton. So we'll see how it plays out. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch them. The thing that scares me the most about Houston is the addition of Luke Mumbamute. I think he, you know, he's such a good defensive player. And, you know, they lost Patrick Beverly. But, Dan, you've talked a lot about how Patrick Beverly is a lot of movement, um, but not necessarily well, they, all. They replaced the second dirtiest player in the league with the dirtiest player in the league at the same position. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. Chris, Chris Paul is the dirtiest player in the league. He grabs, holds, trips. Oh, I thought you were talking about Mumba Mute. No, 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 no. Mumba Mute just gets it done. No, CP3, I love him. I, I love Chris Paul as a player. Always have, always will. Um, this does not, and I would take him in a second in Portland um, if they didn't have Lillard. He's, there's something about I, the old adage, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I mean, Chris Paul embraces that. He grabs, he holds, he pushes, he flops, he yells, he screams. Uh, I mean, he does every single thing in, like, if he didn't write the dirty play handbook, he he was at least there as a co-author or at least you know some some editorial decisions. I mean that that dude has been there, done that. I mean I I can't think of anything dirty that's ever. The only thing I think Chris Paul hasn't done, and I'm trying to remember, is the Draymond Dream, you know the the groin kick, and I think he's even got one of those in his book. But otherwise, he's he's done everything else. So losing Beverly, you know, the, the guy who's normally going to be that guy, and replacing him with a bigger jerk, they they won that one. And then you had a guy like P.J. Tucker with Trevor Ariza and Emba Amute. That can lock you down. If Emba Amute could, mm-hmm. could knock down threes, they could run a lineup out there that defensively would just be a nightmare sans Harden that could just shoot from everywhere. Because Tucker can knock down threes. Ariza can knock down threes. Obviously, Harden and Chris Paul can knock down threes. So there's a chance that they can throw some lineups out there that can really screw with you um, as far as how much pressure they can put on you defensively and at the same time really push the ball offensively and spread you out and, and wear you down with Chris Paul and James Harden. So 
like I said, it's going to be a really interesting scenario on how things play out on both sides of the ball. Yeah, they may never take a mid-range shot again. Uh, Amy, what are your thoughts about uh, Houston this year? Um, I I think that they are going to be fun to watch. I guess for, I guess from a bat, like a basketball fan perspective, not necessarily because I'm a Houston Rockets fan. I agree with Dan about Chris Paul being the dirtiest player in the league, and what is going to happen when Chris Paul needs the ball in his hands, James Harden pretty much wants the ball in his hands all the time. So that's like a a lot of people got really excited about that as if, you know, they were trying to form their own little super team to, to play against the Warriors. And I think you're right. They are going to win a lot of games Um, and they're probably going to be kind of fun to watch. I don't know that I think that Chris Paul and James Harden are going to work as well together on a team as some people are projecting that they will they'll be good but I don't I just I don't really you know like Dan said I don't really see a a way around trying to figure out what to do with obviously they can't both have the ball at the same time so you know somebody's gonna have to make something happen and I mean that you know I mean I could be wrong they could play really well together and you know could could totally own the whole league but I don't think I am so. <laughs> I think this could be a team that's really good in the regular season, but once they get into a series, I think it could be harder for them because whatever ends up developing as the chemistry and the style of play between Harden and Paul, I think it's going to be pretty unique and pretty specific. And I think when people, when teams get to play them for several games in a row, I think they'll be able to pick it apart. They just kind of strike me as a team that um, will have a successful regular season, but might struggle in the playoffs. And it goes along with what you were saying, Dan, about Chris Paul have struggling uh, to make it out of the playoffs and, you know, deep into the playoffs. We got anything else to say about Houston before we move on to the Spurs? I wish nothing but bad things upon them. On who? Houston. As, as much as I as, as, as much as I despise the Lakers, I think the team that I currently hate the most in the NBA is the Rockets. I don't know why. I just do. Don't get me wrong. I love I, lo- I love me some Pringles, man. And and Daryl Morey, I like what he's done as far as uh, really embracing analytics. I, it's just something about that franchise. I I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that the Clyde spurned the Blazers for him. And I, I don't know. It's just yeah. something inherent that's just. Uh, I, I see those uniforms and I instantly just get angry. That's just weird. Well, let's move on to the most blase of franchises. Drab uniforms in the <laughs> uniforms in the league. I don't think there's anything more drab than the gray Spurs jerseys. Let's talk about the Spurs, the team who takes everything I love. Uh, they are last year were 61 and 21. They finished second in the Western Conference this week or this coming season they're projected to win 52 so that's a dramatic drop i want to talk about that in a sec they're they've lost joel anthony Dwayne dedman david lee and jonathan simmons they've added matt costello rudy gay darren hilliard jeffrey uh laverne is that how you say yep, his jeffrey name laverne, correct jeffrey laverne um brandon paul london parates and Derek white I'm really surprised that they're being projected going from 61 wins last year to 52 wins this year. That seems like a precipitous drop for the Spurs, and I would definitely take the over on this one. What do you all think? Oh, my God. They're projected to win only 53 games? Dear God, the sky is falling. We should have such bad problems, They've, they've right? won over 50 <laughs> games for the last 20 years. or 100 years. I mean, literally, if you look at their winning percentage, I think, what is it? I want to say it's above. I, need to look I think at it's it. above sixty-five percent since the Tim Duncan era, or the the year before the Tim Duncan era. No, because they were absolute that crap. One year they yeah, think the, to get Tim Duncan. So for basically twenty years, they have won fifty games, and then obviously you've got the strike seasons in there, the shortened seasons in there. Uh, but they won like sixty-five percent of the games. It's it's a ridiculous number. People want to talk about oh the Patriots have been so dominant. The Spurs have done it for longer. That's the cra- that's the crazy thing here. So I mean, you've got the second best player in the league, at least in my eyes, in Kawhi Leonard. Um, you can make it obviously an argument for for Durant being there. For me, it's still LeBron, still number one. So I mean, when you've got Kawhi Leonard and you've got other pieces around him, they're still going to be a very very good team. I'm higher obviously on Lamarcus Aldridge than 99% of the known world. Apparently, um, I still love LA. I still think he can get it done. 
Parker's on his last legs. There's no doubt about that. Same can be said of Manu. Um, we're, we're getting to the point where it's easier to find, um, you know, bald spots on Manu than it is to find hair. Patty Mills is the best backup point guard in the NBA. Uh, as far as that sits right now. And really he could probably make a case for being a starting point guard at this point in this, in, at this point in his career. He's, he's better than Tony Parker is um, adding Rudy Gay. If Rudy Gay can come back from an Achilles injury, which pretty much no one in NBA history has, and people can make the argument for Kobe. He didn't come back folks. He, that was a shell of Kobe Bryant. Wes Matthews has not come back. Elton Brand didn't come back. Um, that, that injury that ruptured blown, whatever you want to call it. Achilles tendon is just a, a breaker of souls and dreams, particularly in the NBA. Um, but if somehow he can come back and magically have that explosive athleticism and the ability to create for himself, which is something while the Spurs are the, the Spursian team and moving the ball, that, that's all great in the playoffs. though, you got to be able to take somebody off a of bounce from time to time. And Rudy Gay can do that. So adding that to their team is huge. Losing Simmons, um, and Dwayne Dedman, I think both of those hurt this team. Um, I don't know if adding Rudy Gay and Joffrey Laverne are enough to compensate for losing both those guys. Um, beyond that, they'll, one of those guys that those rookies they drafted will somehow be an all-star in the next two years. Cause that's the Spurs. Um, but I mean, it's the Spurs. I mean, that's really what we're getting down to. You've got two guys for certain that are going to join Tim Duncan, uh, and manage Ginobili and Tony Parker as, as first ballot hall of famers. Kawhi continues his career arc. He's going to be right there. Um, LaMarcus is a great second banana. <laughs> um, and you've got, you got some great players around him. So, you know, it, it'll be, it'll be fun to see if this is the year the Spurs fall behind, you know, everybody and only win 53. Yeah, yeah, everybody <laughs> wants to be that guy. I called it. I'm like, okay, let's go back to your, your Twitter, Facebook, social media history. And how many times did you call it before where you got it wrong? It's gotten to the point where if you look on social media now, people are like, so what do you think about the Spurs? Like it's at least 55 wins, but they lost. I don't care. I've spent the last 12 years questioning this. I, I'm just going with it until it happens. Then once it happens, then we can talk. God, I think that that's probably the best philosophy to take right there. What Dan just said. Um, I've, Rudy Gay um, can play well. Um, he was in Memphis for a while before he did the Toronto and then the Kings and then now um, to the Spurs. The Spurs are good. They're, they're the team that I, I don't know what it is, and, and maybe it, it's that that Kawhi Leonard started to kind of come up as Tim Duncan sort of faded out. He's a fantastic basketball player, and it really seems like, with Greg Popovich, you just just hand him, a, you know, a bench full of players and go here, here, Pop, make this happen, and he will, and he'll still come out and win fifty five games. So I, Bleacher Report nailed it. The, the the Spurs are the freaking White Walkers. They are. They just they, yes, they just they, keep coming. They just hordes that just keep coming and coming and coming, and then finally they get to the freaking wall, and you're like, ah, they're not gonna do anything this year, and they just burn it all to the ground. It's like. Wait, yeah. How did you? I don't. I'm. I'm done. Stop. I'm. I'm done trying. I'm. I, seriously, you get to a point where you just. You're. You're done questioning them. Yeah. I. I don't. I, I don't bet against the Spurs. I, I was very happy. The times that the Grizzlies have beat the Spurs in the last few years, because that has been kind of the the, the thorn in their side, and I think some of that had been mental too. There was. This, uh, there was one game. It was a um, triple overtime. Oh wow. <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, and, and Memphis won. And it was probably one of the most stressful basketball games I have ever watched in my entire life. I remember making a joke in, like, the 50 millionth overtime or something to my husband. Because it, it was a like, early December game. I said, all I want for Christmas is the head of Man Al on a platter. And so that year for Christmas, to his credit, um, he, in a, a package of knitting needles that he got for me, he took a cutout and like printed out a picture of Man Ginobili's head and stuck it in the envelope somewhere. Like the, the Spurs are, are the team that just like steals everybody's soul and everybody's joy. And they're not, they're not flashy like the Warriors are. And, but you know, I mean, they've got an insane amount of talent and a coach that can absolutely make the most out of all of it. So, you know, I'm, I, I don't think like I, I'm not ever going to be one of the people that says, "Oh, this is going to be the year that the, the, the Spurs finally drop off." I don't know that that's I don't know that's ever going to happen. I, I'm just going to wait 
and and not call that. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm looking at their depth chart. Right now, listed at power forward, they have LaMarcus and Rudy Gay. That's it. Listed at center, they have Pau Gasol and Joffrey Laverne. That's all they have listed in those two key positions. They've got Deontay Murray, who's excellent, but extremely young, um, at, listed as their starting point guard. And I don't know if um, they want to do that because they want to have the strength of Patty Mills coming off the bench. I don't know. We can't just, I guess part of it is this, the Spurs have been so excellent for so long. I guess we have to watch falling into the trap of just expecting that they're going to be great and then, um, you know, not going after ball the ball. But then you have Noah Vonley, who's like, wait, the game's not over yet. And he picks up the ball and puts it in for the win. You know, <laughs> so some, uh, you know, we can't just assume that the uh, that they're just going to win everything. I think anybody has a chance on any day, partly because they are uh, they are aging. Some of their best players are, are getting up there in the years. You know, anybody has a chance. So I'm not ready to just write you know, write them off as the number two automatically in the league where a lot of people are saying, I still, I think it is possible. And I think on any given day, if people are, if teams are paying attention, uh, they could uh, come through uh, and surprise the Spurs. But yeah, it's hard. There's three things (laughs) in life for me. The sun rises in the East. It sets in the West and the Spurs win 55 games. I mean, that, that's, that's really what, there are literally people who are going to be listening to this and readers and commenters who have not been alive long enough to have seen a Spurs team not win 60% of their games. I mean, 20 year olds have not seen this happen. That's how crazy this team has been for this run. So unless it, if something changes drastically and I would never wish an injury on somebody, but unless, like something seriously bad happens to Kawhi. Um, I just don't see this team falling off the wagon it, 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 until, you know, Pop leaves, Kawhi leaves, or it's just Kawhi left. I mean, in, hell, even then he may get him to 50. I mean, he's, he's that good of a player. So it's just, it's, it's crazy what they've done and, and to continue with Deontay Murray's another guy. I mean, you kind of brought him up there at, at tail end who I overlooked, who came out of nowhere last year. And that's kind of been the Spurs way. So if, if Murray all of a sudden begins a Kawhi like transformation where, you know, he was a 15th pick from San Diego state and Murray comes out and all of a sudden is a late first and becomes a superstar player. Then, I mean, then you've got to really question if, if, if the Spurs have something in the water. Uh, well, it all goes back to when Manu got bit by the bat. But I've been forbidden for talking about that anymore because people seem to think that their vampires aren't real. We all know they are. I think we better wind it up here. We've been uh, we had a lot to cover, and I want to thank Amy for joining us today. Any last words on how the Southwest is going to play out? Um, I, I honestly, I think we'll see the Spurs and, and the Rockets are going to win a bunch of games. The Grizzlies will hopefully win more than 34 games. The Pelicans are still going to be the misshapen Mr. Potato Head. I don't even know what to say about the Mavericks other than I don't think they did enough. I mean, they they could probably get better. Like maybe they could make, maybe they can make the playoffs. I don't think they do. So I think that the the Southwest Conference is going to stay at least as far as team rankings. The win percentage, like win loss ratios, may change, but I think it's still going to be. The Rockets and the Spurs are going to be dominant, and then hopefully the Grizzlies aren't going to be awful. But there, there is that chance. So, you know, though, I mean, this the Spurs will be the division champions again. I, whatever. Well, the the Trailblazer fans recently have been through, uh, you know, some big changes. A couple years ago, you know, we had a, a lot of turnover, and we all we all made it through. It ended up being a more fun year than a lot of us thought it would be. So, you know, that's the that's what I can wish for Memphis fans is that feeling kind of low right now, but maybe someone will step up. Somebody will show that they're uh, more than people thought they were, and it'll turn out to be you know, better than, uh, than you thought it was going to be. Dan, you want to take us out of here? Absolutely. Amy, you can go ahead and give Amy an opportunity here to go ahead and let people know where they can find her. You can find our work at www.allheartinhoopcity.com. And you can find me on Twitter at hoopcityhellcat. Awesome. Tara, go ahead and let them know where they can find you. 
I am at TCB Biggs on Twitter. As always, uh, for Dan Morang, that would be me. You can find me on Twitter at DMorang. Um, also, uh, yeah. Wow, I, I almost said also because I had the other stuff to plug, but I don't have that anymore. Yay! Do you have the secret account, oh, Dan? Oh, my burner account? Secret Dan Twitter? Oh, I almost let out the burner accounts. Yikes. Oh, now, now I know what I'm doing tonight. I'm looking for Dan's burner account. Yikes. Dan is Kevin. <laughs> you know, if anything, I'm out here. I'm going to be out here standing for Myers Leonard. That's, that's who it's going to be for. Um, but just remember, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher. All your podcast needs as part of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, also part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. For Amy, for Tara, I'm Dan Morang. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.